Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Mickey Badlamenti, discipleship pastor here at Rock Point Community Church. Our goal in the messages we share is to consistently present God's truth in ways that will challenge you, bring you new perspective, and ultimately lead you into closer relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Wherever you're listening from, we hope this message encourages you in your faith. We also welcome you to visit us anytime you're in the Detroit area. Our Sunday services are at 9 and 11 a.m. and include a full range of children's programs, as well as a ministry specifically for children with special needs. Find us on Facebook or visit our website at rockpoint.org for more information. And I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. How many people are glad to be here? You really feel like you're home. I just read Rock Point Community Church just passed up Disney World is the happiest place on earth. You can actually go to the Welcome Center and go say hi to Yoda. I'm not going to tell you which one that is. I'll let you guess. Good looking people. Uh, this word... I was brought up maybe the last couple of years to my mind, and it was added to my vernacular, but I heard it years ago, and it's the word woke. Like, you got to be woke. Are you woke? Are you woke? And when, I guess the first time I was woke is when I was a kid, and the element used to get me woke was pain. So when I was just a little boy, I'd get, grab my dad's keys, and I'd go over and stick them in the electrical outlet. And my mom would say, don't do that. What are you, an idiot? You're going to electrocute. Back then, moms could call their kids idiots. So she said that, and then my dad said, no, no, let him go ahead and go do it. Lick it first. He'll learn. He'll learn. I mean, that's how you learn, through pain. Um, the first several gifts I got at Christmas, I don't know how many are as old as me. You remember there was a writing tool that had this point on it that would get like 10 zillion degrees and you would etch stuff in wood. It was a wood burning tool. Did anybody get that for Christmas? Yeah. And there was like a, maybe an eight inch electrical cord on it where you could only plug it in by the drapes in the living room. <laughs> then what else we have? We had creepy crawlies. Remember those? A thousand degree plate that you'd put in your bedroom and you'd pour hot liquid in it and handle it. And then they came out with edible creepy crawlers, which that's great putting it in your mouth. And then if they couldn't kill the kids by that way, they came out with jarts. Anybody remember playing jarts? That's when kids were kids. You got a big heavy metal spear. You chucked it down the, down the aisle and there was a group of kids standing there with a 12 inch plastic ring on the ground. And then at the end of the game, we'd all get together and we'd start talking in a group. And you always had that one kid you hung out with that would just whip it up in the air. That was probably you. And, and then it would, you'd all start running because it would impale you in the head. And when they outlawed that game, that's when we had a hard time finding youth pastors. Because that, that, you get hit in the head with one of those, you're going into junior high ministry. I got the bright idea when I, somebody said this, if you got a hunk of dry ice and you put it in a glass jar and you put the lid on really, really tight, it would explode like a nuclear bomb. Any of you try that? I found, you go to the ice cream man, he's the guy that's got the dry ice, you go up and say, yeah, you know, you're eight years old, I need some dry ice. Why do you want it, kid? 
because I want to put it in a glass jar and make a nuclear bomb. Okay, kid, here you go. Because back then, they, adults would do that. They, they wanted you to get hurt. So nothing gets you woke like pulling shards of glass out of your eyeballs. That's all fun. Now, getting older in life, I'm, I've been married maybe 37, 38, 36 years. I don't know how long I've been married. Uh, uh, my son's 34. We, got, we decided to have him after we got... So uh, 36 years. Um, I'm trying to get woke to women. Uh, it's been a, a tough journey. Uh, women are, are really wives. Here's the thing. When I got married, uh, old people always want to give you advice, and most of it is lousy advice. The only advice I got good from an old guy was he says, make sure you buy a couch big enough to sleep on that's comfortable. So that has come in handy. I've made a lot of cool forts and played like I was sleeping out in the woods and there was an angry she-bear around. So that, that was good advice. But a lot of the advice was they would, they would say, pick your battles, pick your battles, pick your battles. Now, my wife never got advice like that. She always got advice like, you'll straighten them out. You'll learn. You'll train them. So it's altogether different. So I really like Mexican food, okay? So we go down to El Charles down the street here. Anybody like Mexican food? You like? All right. It's cool because I'm a sloppy eater. I'm eating a taco, going crazy. Food's flying all over the place. When you get done eating your taco, there's like another taco in there. It's good. <laughs> Two tacos. So anyway, I go in there, and the problem I have is the chips and salsa because a lot of times you start eating the chips and salsa and you get full, don't you? So, so, and they're free, and to a guy that's like, free. So the waitress comes up to me and she says, uh, uh, and I'll get to my sermon, one day, maybe. <laughs> so she comes up to me and she says, sir, would you like some more chips? Because I'm, I'm like fighting, because I got my family there, they're, they're stealing all the chips. So I'm fighting like the third monkey trying to get on the ark. So I, I, she said, well, you want some more chips and salsa? And so I says, yeah. So she says, okay, sir. And she turns around and smiles. And then my wife says, He's had enough. <laughs> this woman turns around. She says, okay. And she keeps walking. Never getting back to me. I'm a 60-year-old man. I'm paying the bill and maybe the gratuity. And I get no vote. I says, I want more chips and salsa. And she just says, okay, to my wife. And walks. And just like I'm not even there. Now I got a choice to make. Is this one of my battles? How many battles do I get? Do I pick one now? And so that's why, do I stand up, turn the table over, start yelling, screaming? Every woman in the place thinks I'm a psycho. The guys are saying he picked his battle. So what do I do? <laughs> I finally figured I'd get my wife good. My grandkids came in, five and seven years old. Granddaughter comes in and says, Paul, 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 Paul. Somebody at church says, you sound just like an owl. And I said, who? And my arms kind of went up like this. <laughs> Well, they start giggling and laughing, and they ran. I, I love getting punked by a five-year-old. <laughs> so I says, let's go get Nana, you know? So well, finally, I can put my wife in her place, you know? So I go in. I said, hey, Nana. I said, somebody at church says, you sound just like an owl. And she looks at me, and she says, well, why would they say that? I said, you, you don't understand. Somebody at church, our church we go to, says you sound just like an owl. And she says, I really don't know why they would say something like that. I said, no, you're supposed to say who, 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 who. And then she says, now who sounds like an owl? So, <laughs> women, you just, uh, you know, they are what they are. I'm trying, though. I'm trying. Uh, first time I heard the word woke, it was about racial sensitivity. 
white guy gets on a bus in Alabama, black gal sitting there. She's actually, back then the rule was the blacks had to sit in the back of the bus, the whites had to sit on the front. And so she was sitting where she was supposed to, the white guy gets on, demands she gets up, she ends up getting arrested. Now they have this hotshot new pastor down at the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church, Pastor King, and he decides to go on a boycott of the bus line. It lasts a whole year, and they eventually, they got woke. They turned over the law. Now, I hate even sharing that story. It makes me cringe inside. How can we as an educated people, a free country, how could we ever in our history of our country be so backwards that somebody of a different color gets on a bus and expects somebody else to just stand up because they're a different color? How could that ever happen? It's ridiculous. I don't even like sharing that story. But that's where we were as a country at one time. We had to get woke. We had to get woke. As I'm reading in the Bible, I study about Moses. The first 40 years of his life, he was a somebody. The next 40 years of his life, he's a nobody. He has a meeting with God. The next 40 years of his life, he found out that God can take a nobody and turn him into a somebody. Moses got woke. Let's see if we can get woke this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the service today. Lord, I just pray that you would speak through me. Lord, I pray that hearts here would be open today, ready to receive your word. We give you all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. About a month ago, uh, this pastor friend of mine over in London, England, he had a lapse of judgment, and he asked me if I'd come speak <laughs> at a noise arts festival. It's like the 10th year in a row. And this is a festival where all these artists get together, and they have poetry, art exhibits, they got uh, concerts, they got plays, anything that has to do with arts. And God has a terrific sense of humor. My favorite two groups of people in the world, and it's the five individuals I took with me, are artists and millennials. I just love to slap them. Uh, so they went with, it's just a, you know, hey, we're supposed to be somewhere at six. Okay, I think I can get there at seven because I was just looking out the window and I didn't have my Red Bull yet. You know, you just, so anyway, so they go with me. So I go to this thing and one of the nights they have this art exhibit. All these paintings were there. Well, I'm drawn to this painting and I'm like glued to it. And I, we had a, like a connection. I'm, what is this painting trying to say? So I asked my artist friends what it meant, and most of them didn't even notice the skull and crossbones on the bottle. But I'm thinking, okay, here's a mom, a nun, maybe Mary, I don't know who, but they're feeding poison to a baby. And this guy is looking on. So I asked my buddy that was there that he's really into literature and things, and he said, usually in England when they have a person dressed in black like that, looking at something, they're a pagan, they're the world looking at something. Well, as luck would have it, the very artist that painted that picture was there. So I cornered her, and I said, listen, this is really bugging. This painting of yours intrigues me. What were you trying to say? What was your thoughts behind this painting? And she says, well, that's one generation. The mother is feeding the baby the poison of God and religion and the church and passing it on to the next generation. And this other person is looking on. Now, somebody took another picture uh, right after that. Uh, that's me looking at the painting. 
I don't know why they took that, but anyway. But I got woke because I said, you know, because London is like, to me, two years culturally ahead of us. I think what I saw in London is going to happen here in a couple years. So as I was looking at that painting, I said, that's the way the world looks at the church. That's the way the world looks at Christians. We're haters, we're judgmental, we're prejudiced, and we're feeding poison to the next generation of kids. And nothing, nothing can free you more than having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So they're getting the, the wrong vision of who we are and what we're all about. There's a scripture I found in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 18, and I just found this. This is an extra scripture. It's a bonus today. Uh, let me read it to you. But the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn, which shines brighter and brighter until full day. In other words, what this scripture is saying is you, you come to know Christ and you have a relationship and it's the morning and you're walking with Him. And as you walk through life, the sun gets brighter and brighter and the sun shines. And when it comes noon, it's full sun and you've been blessed and you've been getting this knowledge and this truth of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and the glory that, you know, some of us, we fall away or we come to the Lord later in life. But what a joy it is when you start following Christ and you can be woke early and, and the light shines and shines and shines and you can... You can be aware of things. And I, I believe with all my heart to truly be woke this morning, you have to walk with Jesus Christ because I believe He is the author of truth. He is the author of truth. There is no other way. Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Most, one of the most remarkable stories in the Scripture to me. Because you got Jesus' birth. We heard of that this December, the birth of Christ. And then you have His public ministry. But there's that big gap. Where you, what's Jesus doing, you know? Who's he hanging out with? But this gives us a, a little picture of that gap. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival, according to the custom. After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day, then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? Yes. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Now, years and years ago, for a couple years, my wife and I bought a mobile home over at Chateau Clinton. And when my son was about two years old, I was out in the yard working on something, and I had to make a run to uh, Builder Square. And this is the day. And I know you folks are mature enough in second service not to judge me. But I, I decided I had to run to Builder Square to get something. These are the days before cell phones. So I grabbed my son, and I put him in the truck, and we went to Builder Square. Now, on hindsight, I probably should have told my wife that my kid was going with me, okay? <laughs> so I'm there for about an hour. I pull back into the, the trailer court there, and everybody in the neighborhood just walking around like they're lost. And then they start pointing at me. And I figure, I'm a likable guy. They're glad to see me. 
and I'm waving at everybody. I get to my driveway. There's my wife standing there, and she's got about three or four girlfriends with her, their arms around my wife, and I'm saying, geez, what happened? And everybody's looking in the driveway at me. I open the door, and I say, hey, baby, I'm home. And she says, I can't believe you. She grabs a kid, she's crying, and she goes in the house. And everybody's looking at me just like I am the worst man in the world. And then it hit me, maybe I should have told her I was taking him, you know? Can you imagine... Jesus' family, they were all headed back. A whole day goes by, and somebody says, hey, have you seen Jesus? So they start looking for him. They can't find him. And this is like the movie Home Alone, all of a sudden, you know. Uh, so anyway, they decide to head back. <coughs> now, they've gone a whole day. So you can imagine how Mary felt. They're going back. So they finally get to Jerusalem. They start looking for Jesus. They look for him all day. They can't find him. They go to bed that night. Can you imagine how the parents felt? The next day, they look all day, can't find him. They, go, they don't find him until the third day. Let me ask you a question. As we're all educated people and we really feel like we're woke, is it possible that somewhere along the lines in life, you went on a journey, and you thought Jesus was with you, but he wasn't. Is it possible this last season of time in your life, you've made decisions, and you've went places, and you thought Jesus was with you, and he wasn't? And let me ask you another question. How hard are you willing to go look for him? How hard? I'll throw this last verse in. This is an extra bonus, verse 252. If I ever started a church, I think this would be my mission statement. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Here's, here's some good news. As a Christian, you don't have to be a jerk. People can actually like you. Now, there was times they hated Jesus. There were times they were offended by Jesus because he spoke truth. And sometimes... Your spirit will offend other people's demons. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. I think God, I think Jesus was likable. I think when they invited him to the wedding, they invited him to the wedding because they wanted him to be there. I believe that. I was laying in bed one morning, and these thoughts just come to me. And I thought to myself, Rob. If you could have the perfect house, your dream house, and if you could have all the food you like, all the activities you like, your family's there, you're in good health, but you didn't have your wife, would you accept that life? And I immediately said, no. I said, I said you know, my wife's not perfect, but she's perfect for me, and I wouldn't want to do life without her. I love my wife. We've been together all these, these years, um, I, and let's face it, there's no way I could find another woman that'll put up with me, so I... I'm there. And then another scenario comes up in my mind. What if you could go to a place and you had the perfect house, perfect food, perfect activities, and all your family's there, including your spouse, everything's there, and you were disease-free forever and no death. Death was wiped out, but you didn't have Jesus, and I hesitated. Because I had to think about that. I said, wow, no health problems, no death. My family's there. We're all happy. We have everything we could want. And as I laid there, I finally realized, no. 
I have a relationship with Jesus. Uh, I would have no prayer life anymore. I couldn't pray. I couldn't seek his face for direction. No. But it bothered me because I hesitated. Let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you folks go through life, where does Jesus rank? Where is he at in your heart? Are you woke? Are you really... Jeremiah 29, there's a verse. Um, when I used to be a youth pastor and I work with youth, a lot of questions would come up with people, and I had to do a lot of counseling a lot of times. A lot of times you would have a young girl, and the night, day after youth group, you know, they get on Facebook and say, Oh, he's wonderful. I love him. He's the greatest guy in the world. And three days later, I want him dead, you know? So you'd have a lot of that. And a lot of times you'd have a single person saying, You know, I'm 18. I don't have a boyfriend, I don't have a girlfriend, and I'm going to be single the rest of my life. I'm going to buy 37 cats, you know, I'm going to live on lean cuisine. And, you know, so you get all these discussions. And, and so I, you would share Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, uh, plans to give you hope and a future. And kids would hang on to that verse. They'd grab onto it and snatch onto it. That's great, isn't it? And we grab onto that. So when we see a door that's open or partially open or a door that at least has a doorknob that we can jimmy open, we decide to make that call. So we'll marry that person or we'll take that job or we'll move to that state or we'll make all these decisions. And then what happens three years later when all of a sudden the guy, girl of our dreams is a nightmare? What happens all of a sudden when that job doesn't pan out? What happens when that, that place we move to, man, I wish I was back home. This isn't the place for me. And then we shake our fist at God and say, God, I read in Jeremiah where, where you have plans and, and I was supposed to be there and you were going to give me hope and a future and prosper me. You wanted me happy. <coughs> you lied, God. You lied. Now, and so you, you, know, you lose your faith in God and, and you say, God's not what I thought he was. Now, here's the thing about Scripture. We really need to ver read verse 12 and 13. Let's see what that says. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Now, when you go to the Bible bookstore online, there's a lot of different uh, Bibles, versions you can get. You know, NIV, King James. Everybody knows that Jesus used the King James language. Uh, there's all kinds. Now, what's not as popular but very nice is the Rob version. So tonight, today, I'm going to give you the Rob version of this scripture, okay? For I know the plans I have for you. You don't. Declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. I love you. I'm a good father. I want you to do well. When Peter was in the boat and he pulled up that net full of fish and they began breaking and he had all this fish, Jesus was behind him looking on, smiling, saying, yeah, yeah, you can have that kind of life, Peter. I want you to be happy. I want you to have joy. We can do miracles. Then you will call upon me because you're in relationship with Christ, so you're in communications. So even when you think that door's ajar and opening up for you, you're going to pray and seek God's face. And I will listen to you. God actually listens to us. I believe he wants to give us the desires of our heart. 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The problem is we don't seek God with all our hearts because we want to do something else. But if you're here this morning and you truly want to be woke and you truly want God's hand on your life and you truly want to prosper and have hope and vision and a future, we need to lean totally on God, not partway. And we need to be woke to those around us too. Because when I see a picture like that, and as I see America changing, and what's happening in America, and all the weird stuff, and we can get angrier and angrier, and we can get offended and offended and offended. I found this poem in my journal. I don't know who wrote it. I wrote half of it at the bottom. Uh, but it's been there a while. Let me read it to you. Because church isn't always easy. Church is hard for the prodigal soul returning home broken and battered by the world. Church is hard for the girl who looks like she has it all together but doesn't. Church is hard for the couple who fought the entire ride to service. Church is hard for the single mom surrounded by couples holding hands seemingly perfect families. Church is hard for the widow and widower with no invitation to lunch after service. Church is hard for the nursery volunteer who longs to have a baby to love. Church is hard for the single gal and single man praying God brings them a mate. Church is hard for the teenage girl wearing a scholar letter ashamed of her mistakes. Church is hard for the adulterers, liars, cheats, and slanders. Church is hard for the sinners. Church is hard for me. It's hard because on the outside, it all looks shiny and perfect. Sunday best in behavior, clothes. Here's the woke part, though. However, underneath those layers, you find a guy like me with oftentimes selfish motives and pride. But here's the beauty of the church. Church isn't a building mentality or expectation. Church is a body. It's a family. Church is a group of sinners saved by grace, living in fellowship as saints. Church is a body of believers bound as brothers and sisters by an eternal love. Church is holy ground where sinners stand as equals before the throne of God, Church is a refuge for the broken hearts and a training ground for mighty warriors. Church is a conversion of confrontation and invitation where sin is confronted and hearts are invited to seek restoration. Church is a lesson of faith and trust. Church is a bearer of burdens and a giver of hope. Church is a family, my family, a family coming together, setting aside differences, forgetting past mistakes, rejoicing in the smallest victories. Church, the body, the circle of sinners turned saints. So even on the hard days at church, I know my Savior lives, and I'm always welcome at my Father's table. That's church. I grew up in an era where uh, the churches were pretty conservative. All the guys wore suits, ties every service. Ladies all had dresses on. It was frowned upon if ladies wore makeup, but let's face it, sometimes if the barn needs painting, you've got to paint it. Okay, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> but it was a hippie days. And back then, I was kind of, a, kind of a hippie in training. Hippies had long hair, beard, tie-dyed shirt, beads. You had jeans, and they had a lot of patches on them with sayings like groovy, far out, keep on trucking, make love, not war. You, you had all that stuff. And you kept them for a long, long time. Bill was a guy like that. They had a movement back then called the Jesus Freaks where a lot of hippies started getting saved. They came to church and the church people really didn't know what to do with them because 
they didn't look like the rest of the church people. So Bill goes into church. A lot of hippies didn't wear shoes or socks. They wore sandals or they just go barefooted. You didn't really know it because they had bell bottoms on. But you might be able to smell it. So Bill goes into church, and like hippies, artists, he gets there late, and the pastor is already up and preaching. So Bill walks in, he goes down the center aisle, and he just assumes it's kind of like a sporting event. The best seats are in the front. Now, when you're a veteran Christian, you know you don't sit in the front, okay? But he didn't know any better. So Bill comes down, gets right in the front, and then he sits on the floor... And he opens up his Bible that the Gideons gave him, and he starts listening to what the pastor has to say. Well, everybody's looking at Bill because you don't do that in church. Okay, this is the house of God. There's some respect. There was a deacon, Deacon George. He was in the back. He had a full suit on, and he had a cane. He sees what Bill did, and then he gets up. Now, Deacon George was 68 years old, and he attended this church for 78 years. <clears throat> so he starts walking real slow, coming up towards Bill, and every eye in the church is on Deacon George. And even the pastor, as he's preaching, it's like you try not to get, you know, get your mind off the message, but sometimes you're like, okay, what's going down now? So they're all looking at Deacon George. Deacon George gets right up to Bill, and this is when it's going to hit the fan, you know? Then the most amazing thing happens. Deacon George lays his cane down on the floor, and Deacon George sat down next to Bill. He shakes his hand, and then he opens his Bible and starts listening to the pastor right next to Bill. Now, none of the congregation, I think, remember a single word of what the pastor said that morning. But they did get a message. They got woke. Deacon George that morning gave a message that they never forgot. Are you woke this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, I thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. And no, no, there's no other way to the Father but by you. We give you all glory in Jesus' name. Amen.